Hey everyone, I'm Dan Cortler, the host of TED Climate. Each episode, we unpack the problems and solutions of climate change. This season of the show, we're getting into some big ideas that make us optimistic about the future, like meat grown from cells and leather made from mushrooms. And the best part? We look at how building a greener future can be an upgrade instead of a sacrifice. Find and follow TED Climate wherever you're listening to this. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm just curious to ask you what, what you think of the, the label renewable natural gas. That's a good question. I, I you know, <laughs> we got to call it. So, I don't know. They got to call it something. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't I don't particularly dispute it. <laughs> But. Okay. That that was just my my really my sheer curiosity. We've been trying to find out where it came from and where it was coined. Cuz Oh, it, I, uh, Molly asked me that and yeah. I I was like I have no idea. Uh I know. when you find out tell me. There's so much jargon, there's so much terminology. It's really annoying if you're just like, "Hey, new rule. We call it something <laughs> else now." Everybody do like I said like it's just confusing, you know? I know. I, know. I have mixed feelings on that, I guess I would say. But uh, yeah, anyhow, well, whatever. just today Molly got an answer back from uh, from an academic who who did some research for right. but I I I have this this idea that some madman advertising agency came up with this. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, you're probably onto something there. Yeah, no, exactly. Right after they came up with the lucky struck tagline. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Ah, yes, the lucky strike tagline. Anybody out there remember that? (laughs) I had to think about it for a little while. The answer is the tagline: "It's toasted." That's the power of advertising. But back to renewable natural gas and where that term comes from. I only heard it for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I was intrigued. A quick search online didn't reveal its origins. The origins of the substance, though, those were easy to find. Garbage dumps, sewage, and farmers' fields after harvest. All organic stuff that decomposes and, for want of a better phrase, passes gas. They're all lumped together as something called biogas. That can then be refined to methane, one of the more potent greenhouse gases. But none of that explains who first created the term renewable natural gas, or exactly when, or exactly why. So I've asked our producer, Molly Siegel, to do some more sleuthing, and we will hear from her a little bit later. And by the way, I'm Laura Lynch. Welcome to What on Earth? Here on the West Coast, the BC arm of the Fortis Inc. Energy Company has applied to the Provincial Energy Regulator for approval to supply new homes in the province with 100% so-called renewable natural gas. Doug Slater is the Vice President of External and Indigenous Relations at Fortis BC. We've been aggressively expanding our supply of renewable natural gas, including a threefold increase here this past year in 2021, and we're expecting at least a threefold increase again in 2022. Under our interim climate target, we set a goal of having overall 15% uh, renewable gas uh, content by 2030, and we're ahead of schedule and going to uh, achieve that in advance. So Slater is making no secret of the company's intention to grow its sales of the fuel. Critics, though, want to see the end of RNG before it really gets started. I'm Dr. Melissa Lem. I'm a Vancouver family physician and president-elect of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment. 
What was your reaction when you learned that Fortis BC wants to expand its use of so-called renewable natural gas, including in new buildings? I think the problem at this point is, unfortunately, it's really greenwashing. So something that that he failed to mention is that right now in BC, only 1% of the natural gas that's delivered to our home is renewable. So, I mean, if you're kind of tripling 1%, it's really still a, a minority of the gas that's in our gas lines. The problem is that the majority of the other gas is is in almost entirely fracked gas, which comes from a really polluting process in northeast BC called hydraulic fracturing. And with my work with the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment, I've spoken with different families and farmers and physicians from northeast BC where, where fracking is happening, and they actually call it the sacrifice zone. And I think the problem with teasing out these, these health impacts is that the populations are so small that it's really hard to get significant statistical significance when you're trying to analyze trends in disease. So I think at this point, we really, anecdotes are really some of the, the best evidence that we have to go on. Um, farmers have also told me about relentless noise and light and air pollution from flare stacks that are keeping them awake at night. I think you also have some concerns about the water that is used in fracking. That's right. So each fracking operation, so each well from the beginning of its drilling to the end of its fracked gas supply, it uses tens of millions of liters of fresh water. And typically this at the end of the cycle, it's polluted. They cannot return it to the freshwater cycle. And in a situation in BC where we're seeing extreme heat, where, where droughts are on the horizon because of climate change, it, it makes no sense to be giving water for extremely cheap rates um, to these companies to kind of extract natural gas from, from the ground when the climate change that that drives is actually driving the droughts that are, that, uh, are leading to water shortages. So it's just this vicious cycle, and it's, it's definitely not good for, for the health of our ecosystems or for people. Now, eventually that, that natural gas that, that is, is retrieved from fracking eventually ends up being used in homes, or at least part of it, some for heat, some for stoves. And that's something that you were already signaling was a problem. Why? So um, when we cook with gas stoves, this releases a number of different pollutants into the air, including formaldehyde, carbon monoxide, and nitric oxides. And actually in 2015, Health Canada released new indoor air quality limits on nitrogen dioxide exposure, which is generated when you burn natural gas, as I, as I mentioned. So mo most gas ranges in Canada do not even come close to meeting these air quality standards. And research shows that this can harm your health, like worsening asthma exacerbations in kids or COPD exacerbations in adults. And so it doesn't matter if the gas is renewable or natural, you know, it, methane is methane no matter where it comes from, renewable or not. It still leaks along the supply chain. Um, it still causes air pollution when we burn it in our homes. Renewable natural gas at least isn't derived from fracking. So doesn't it allay some of the concerns that you have around natural gas in BC? Well, I think the concept of renewable natural gas in general is a reasonable one. Um, capturing, capturing methane that would otherwise be freely released into the atmosphere and heat our planet is generally a good thing, but we have to be careful that these sources of renewable gas themselves aren't highly carbon intensive to produce. And so the problem, I think, with the proposal by the, the provinces, you know, the, this natural gas utility in our province, is that they're trying to push ongoing use of natural gas in home heating. And the problem is that this this is an industry where the problem of, of powering it is solved, right? We have heat pumps. We have electric clean 
solar sources of energy that can power our homes and, and cook our food. There are some industries right now that are that are challenging to electrify, like, for example, long-haul shipping or av- aviation. So the small supply of natural gas or renewable natural gas we generate should be saved for those industries, not in home heating. Now, we, fossil fuels, we know, are contributing to global warming, and, and British Columbia certainly felt the impacts over the past year from flooding to wildfires to the deadly heat dome. As a doctor, how has climate change affected your patients? Oh, do you know what I find really interesting about the effects of climate change on my patients is is I it's what exacerbated the effects of COVID-19. So when the pandemic first hit, I thought this is going to, you know, I'm going to see a lot more mental health concerns in my patients, people's anxiety and depression is going to get worse. And interestingly enough, early on in the pandemic, that's not what I saw. But it was really when the smoke rolled in two summers in a, in a row now since the pandemic has hit, when the heat dome hit, when the flooding happened, that was when I really saw spikes in mental health concerns among my patients is because they felt like not only was it not safe to be inside anymore, um, but also being outside, having that refuge in nature, for example, to de-stress really wasn't there anymore because the air was filled with smoke or it was too hot. So I think climate change is a risk amplifier. It, it exacerbates pre-existing chronic diseases. It worsens our mental health, especially when there are other factors affecting it. And I really did see that in my patients over the past couple of years. Now, I just want to ask you this. Not every doctor is outspoken as you are. Why are you so driven to speak out on climate change? So many different reasons, Laura. Um, and I think part of it is once you know, you can't unknow. So for a really long time, I've, I've also had a really uh, strong interest in nature and health. So for over over the past decade, I've been a strong advocate for the nature and health connection but it was really in the last few years, um, specifically after I read Naomi Klein's uh, This Changes Everything book, it, I can remember the exact moment. I was in Montreal with my three-month-old baby. He was on, he was on my lap um, and nursing, and I was actually reading her book. And I was looking at him, and I was reading all about how capitalism is driving the climate crisis and thinking, if, if I don't take action now. The world will not be a good place for my son when he grows up. So I think the combination of being a mother, the combination of knowing, and and also just really actually having a strong connection to nature and wanting to protect those spaces, and then also seeing the effects of climate change on my patients in general. Um, those are all really things that drive me. Dr. Melissa Lem, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Paper or plastic? Oh, I forgot my own bags. Um, plastic. No, wait, paper. Hang on, which one's better? I don't know. Don't stress, Neil. The podcast Living Planet is here to help. We know you want to do what's right for the planet, but you're busy and you have to make a thousand small decisions every day. So we endeavor to answer what's better. Cotton or polyester? Tea or coffee? For answers to these environmental conundrums and your questions, subscribe to Living Planet wherever you listen to podcasts. BC announced that it wanted to expand its use of renewable natural gas on the grid. Will Cleveland was not thrilled. He is a consultant and he co-founded the company Reshape Strategies in Vancouver. I have the kind of job where like friends of mine couldn't really describe what I do, but they've known me for too long to ask again, like what exactly do you do? (laughs) I could maybe say like commercial advisory related to new low carbon energy projects. Okay. 
All right, you heard earlier Doug Slater of Fortis, B.C., talk about the company's hopes to expand what it calls renewable natural gas. And here is Doug Slater again talking about why Fortis, B.C. thinks it's necessary. We know that our customers uh, like using gas and they want to continue doing that, but they also want to decarbonize while they do it. And we want to make sure our customers, the ones in Vancouver and elsewhere in British Columbia, can continue to use gas while also decarbonizing. All right, over to you, Will Cleveland. Decarbonizing with renewable natural gas, what do you think? How much less carbon intensive is RNG than natural gas? Uh, You know, that's a good question, and it really varies. It depends on the source of renewable gas. It depends on what would have happened to the materials that were used to produce the renewable gas in the absence of a program to turn it into renewable gas. But I think for the purposes of how we think about this issue, how we plan for this, you know, we could start with an assumption that it's zero. It's a pretty good story. Um, that That's not the real issue with renewable natural gas, I would say. Okay, so what is? The real issue is that it's an incredibly limited resource. Um, you know, as has been in the news, Fortis has recently applied for some changes to their RNG program, their renewable natural gas program here in BC. According to their own materials, according to the studies that they cite in their application, the scale of feasible renewable natural gas production in Canada is only about one and a half percent of the amount of natural gas that we consume right now. So it's better than nothing. It's absolutely worth pursuing, and there are good reasons to pursue these projects, but it's not a pathway to fully decarbonizing the natural gas system. We need to be pursuing these types of projects to try to reduce the emissions associated with the gas system, but we also need to be pruning the gas system back. Ford has actually just signed a contract uh, with a U.S. company in Pennsylvania to bring RNG here from Pennsylvania. Does that sound like a better solution? Well, here's the thing. These Fortis has a bit of a first mover advantage here, as it were. They, they are a bit ahead of other gas distribution utilities around North America in pursuing sources of renewable natural gas. So that's great, but we need to decarbonize the entire globe, you know, all of Canada, all of North America. And it can look as if renewable natural gas is a great solution for Fortis if you assume that no one else ever wants it. Like the numbers certainly add up if you look at what's the renewable natural gas potential across all of North America, including the United States, and then you assume that no one else any ever wants any of it and Fortis is able to contract for all of it, then sure, maybe there's enough for them. But of course, there's heavy industry in the United States. There's consumers there that will also be looking for renewable natural gas. Fortis isn't going to be the only player in town looking for this stuff. Okay, but but given all of that, can it be part of a solution? Is is it a solution for new buildings or only for buildings already hooked up to gas heating? Yeah, there's absolutely no point in making in pursuing this for new buildings because, like I say, there's not even enough to decarbonize the buildings that we already heat with gas. So why would we make the, you know, why would we keep digging? Why would we make the problem worse by growing the system further? The uses that over the long term are the best candidates for renewable natural gas are really heavy industry. Um, there's quite a bit of parts of the industrial sector. And, and again, this is heavy industry that's already served by the gas grid. Um, but there's a lot of parts of the industrial sector where we haven't identified other good pathways. Um, there are going to be other users as well, but that's that's one of the big ones. And so absolutely, it makes sense to go out, find these resources, start plugging them into the gas system. Because we're going to prune the gas system back, but we're not going to eliminate it. Like we will be living with it for a while. And there are going to be these types of these types of consumers, especially heavy industry, where at least based on what we know now, this is probably the best solution. Where is it being used? Not, you know, not just in PC, but other parts of Canada. How are they using energy from waste in other parts of Canada? 
renewable natural gas is a relatively it's a relatively more recent thing in North America. There are facilities like, say, landfills that have been producing biogas for a long time, and we've recognized for a long time that there's big benefits from having a, a some kind of a control system so that you're not just emitting landfill gas into the atmosphere. Um, then you're just emitting methane. It has really quite negative impacts. So it's good to at least capture it. The original technology was just to capture it and flare it. But then for quite at a lot of facilities around North America, we've had projects installed where it gets captured and then often burned in an engine to produce electricity. You know, if you're flaring it, you're burning it anyhow. Instead, you could run an engine, produce some power. That's relatively common, and that's sort of the last generation of projects, and there's quite a few of those. It's not very efficient, but it is at least, you know, some beneficial use for the resource. Right. And so when we're talking about waste products, biogas from waste, um, in this in renewable natural gas, it's being upgraded to just methane, so it can be added to gas lines. But what do you think would happen if the focus was on solving the emission problem of emissions coming from waste rather than producing and burning RNG? No, that's a, yeah, that's a fair question. And I my own feeling is that we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time on climate policy. Like we can do both of these things. We can look to reduce the production of wastes while also recognizing that, okay, when we do wind up with wastes, we can find beneficial uses for them. Um, some of these things are, they, they really aren't going to go away. Like for example, wastewater treatment plants, you know, that's just a function, the, the amount of organic material that's going into those plants, it's resulting in the production of biogas. It's just a function of the population. There's not much we can do about that. We can do more about landfills and we are doing more about landfills, but it's very hard to get all of this material out of landfills. Um, we could do more on the organic side, but it's, I, I just, I don't know that it's realistic to completely eliminate the types of organic waste that get produced on farms or get produced in people's homes. It's, um, you know, we're, we're going to be producing these things, but I, ideally we would, we would come at it from both sides, try to reduce our production of waste, but still use it beneficially when we do wind up with it. And, and what other ways do you think a limited amount of renewable natural gas or biomethane could be useful in Canada? The, the real benefit from my perspective, the, the real, the real climate benefit from this it's not actually in using renewable natural gas to displace conventional natural gas on the gas grid. That is a benefit, absolutely. But the real win, the thing we should really be focusing on, is that developing a market, having a market for renewable natural gas projects can be a way to pay for better capture and control of fugitive methane emissions from wastes. Um, there's a lot of methane emissions from agriculture, for example, that are that material is actually a very good candidate for being managed through a biogas production system. And the, the win there is from not emitting the methane in the atmosphere. That's, that's the real climate lens we should be taking on this is it's a way to, to drive those types of reductions in methane emissions from things like the agricultural sector. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, my pleasure. Happy to talk to you. Earlier in the program, I promised that we would try to get to the bottom of the origin of that phrase, renewable natural gas. The task fell to our producer, Molly Siegel. Hi, Molly. Hey, Laura. Okay, so what's the answer? Um, it's a bit of mixed news. I have a partial answer, Laura, and then I have a request for our listeners. Okay, go ahead. I reached out to someone named Trish Stewart. She's the science editor at the Oxford English Dictionary and... This term is used almost exclusively in North America. So we use the term renewable natural gas. It is the same thing as what Europeans refer to as biomethane. Well, that's interesting. So that, that, there's kind of that across the pond divide. It reminds me of when I was living in the UK and I learned that we call them potato chips 
in North America, and they call them crisps in the UK. Yeah, the same but less tasty. <laughs> so there's a little, a little bit more that that she told me here. The first time it appeared, the first reference she could find to it was in an American newspaper. In do you want to just take a guess what year? Well, I only heard about it a couple of weeks ago, so I can't imagine it being more than a year or two old. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think it was that old either, but this newspaper entry is from 1979. Oh my, <laughs> I was still a, a wee teenager back then. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the entry says, like, this is the context, this is the sentence. Most methyl alcohol, which is an alternate additive and which is not potable, is made from renewable natural gas. Okay, that, that, like you said, that's a partial answer, but there's more I want to know. So I think now you're going to deliver the challenge to the listeners. You bet. I do have a request. This is for you listeners, not you, Laura. <laughs> um, we want to know from you. Do you know the origins of the term renewable natural gas? Yeah, and, and, and also when we talk about that, we would like to know, do you know who coined it the very first time and why? It's such a, it's such a mystery to us. Um, but Molly, thanks for, for getting the answers that you did get. Thanks, Laura. And listeners, by the way, our email address is earth at cbc.ca. Call it renewable natural gas, call it biomethane from garbage, sewage and agriculture. There are limits to just how much of it can actually be produced here in Canada. And it's not only utility companies that want to use it. Maddie Ewing is a senior analyst with the Pembina Institute focused on transportation, like trucks carrying heavy loads over long distances. Maddie, hello. Hi there. What fuel do most trucks use now in Canada? So if we're looking at the heavy-duty transport sector, so think tractor trailers or the big rigs that you see traveling down Canada's highways, most of those vehicles are fueled today using diesel. There are some, though that are equipped for natural gas. And um, so I'm wondering, in theory, would those be able to make the switch to biomethane or renewable natural gas if it was available instead of fossil fuel kinds of gas? Yeah, so there are a limited number of natural gas vehicles on the road today. It's difficult to say exactly how many, but those vehicles that are equipped to use natural gas absolutely could switch to use renewable natural gas and are very well-suited candidates for that switch. And how difficult would the switch be? So the biggest concern is really about securing a fuel supply. So we do have limited RNG here in Canada and having access to a refueling station is really the main concern there. It has the same chemical composition as uh, conventional natural gas. So there's no concern about switching from conventional natural gas to RNG for use in a vehicle that is made to operate using natural gas. Okay, how much would it reduce greenhouse gas emissions if it, if it was switched from natural gas to gas generated by waste? So it really depends, actually. So when you look at sort of the life cycle of the production of RNG, there are a number of ways to account for credits that the fuel will receive for making use of a waste feedstock that would have otherwise degraded and released methane in its own time. There are potentially also credits that the fuel receives for a byproduct that can be used to displace fertilizer. But all this to say that there are many different ways to account for emissions and so many different estimates of the emission reduction potential of the fuel. I would say potentially our best case sort of range would be around 40 to 90% reduction in life cycle emissions compared to 
a diesel baseline. So not a natural gas baseline, but a diesel baseline in this case. Okay. Are there examples of places that are actually doing this already? Yeah. So here in Toronto, where I am based, we actually use renewable natural gas in our garbage fleet, where the system's using municipal organic waste. It is converting that into renewable natural gas, which they then use to power some of the garbage trucks operating in the city. I understand that this kind of thing is already in place in California as well. Yes. So in markets around North America, like BC and California, where they have a low carbon fuel standard in place, this is a policy that really incentivizes the use of lower carbon liquid fuels or gaseous fuels. Um, And so in those jurisdictions where this policy is in place, there's an incentive to sort of create uh, renewable fuels or fuels that have a higher renewable content like RNG or others. And so in those markets, they are actually incentivized to be producing RNG. And so it has reached a greater market penetration than areas where that policy isn't necessarily in place. So you talked about the the policy. Would that be the kind of thing that would help this become more broadly based in Canada? Yeah, absolutely. So I think nationally or at the federal level, we are looking at finalizing the clean fuel regulation, which will act in a similar way to the low carbon fuel standard that's already in place in BC, and it will help create a market for these renewable fuels. What I think I'd like to note, though, is while policies like that can help, you know, influence the production of renewable fuels, given that RNG makes use of a waste feedstock, there's quite limited potential of us sort of gaining a very large supply of the fuel to reach sort of different markets across the country. Is there even enough gas then to switch all the trucks in Canada over to renewable natural gas? So I I would say likely not. We do know, even by our best estimates, that the supply of RNG here in Canada is very limited. And, you know, while the Pemina Institute advocates for us to sort of save that RNG, that limited supply for sectors in which natural gas use is hardest to replace, And I would say, you know, long haul heavy duty trucking where you've got trucks operating using quite a carbon intensive fuel right now, that would be one of the sectors that is well suited for this transition. But even sort of our best estimate, it's unlikely that all of the vehicles would be able to to have enough access to RNG to sort of fully turn over the fleet to renewable natural gas. Given all of that, then as a solution, how does renewable natural gas compare to, say, electrifying the trucking industry? It's, it's easy to say, and I think everyone is aware of the fact that there's, there's a lot of hype and excitement around the potential for electrification of transportation. We're seeing it happen in the passenger sector, and it's already starting to trickle into commercial sectors like urban delivery, for instance, transit, others. Now, the question arises for the ability of battery electric technology to meet the needs of heavy duty trucks, particularly those that are most energy demanding, operating long hauls, and transporting really heavy loads. We don't necessarily have the battery density right now to meet the needs of that sector. And so as a result, RNG is one of the fuels that could step in to sort of fill that gap. As a bridge or as a permanent? As a bridge. As a bridge. Maddie Ewing, thank you very much. My pleasure. All of this talk about renewable natural gas got me thinking a little while ago about where this started to come from, because it's not new using organic waste as energy. And that took me in to the realm of dog poop. And uh, I'll have you know, just a few years ago, a man in the United Kingdom used dog poop to power a street lamp, and it worked. And so we've come from that to this. Our show this week was produced by Molly Siegel. If you have more questions about renewable natural gas, check out my colleague Emily Chung's piece on our website. 
The What on Earth team includes associate producers Rachel Sanders and Serena Renner. Matthias Wolfson is our engineer. Our senior producer is Manisha Janakaram. I'm Laura Lynch. Thank you for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.